Good morning, Christchurch Westchester. If you don't know who I am, I go by the name Eugene Olude. I was a member out of area, and now I'm a member back in the area. I was out in the area studying preaching at the Chicago course on preaching. And I was there for the academic year. I was sent to Chicago. I was sent to Chicago by you, Christchurch. And it is by God's grace and strength that truly helped me finish the course. So as a way to express my personal gratitude to you, Christchurch, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for checking in on me. Thank you for loving me. The course was incredibly tough. And in the middle of the course, I had double grief, which made the course even tougher. But thank you very much, Christchurch, because I couldn't successfully finish the course without your many prayers. So thank you. This morning, I want to share with you the testimony of Jesus Christ through the word of God. So if you have a Bible this morning, please turn them to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, a kingship psalm. I'll begin reading in verse 1. The psalm of David. God's word says this. The earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors. That the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. 
Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. I want to tag the sermon this morning, the king of glory. The king of glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, whom we know as Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. Lord, only you can open our eyes to see you this morning. Lord, as we gaze upon your word now, help us to pay much closer attention to it. And receive it as such. Lord, as I attempt to serve your people this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Speak, O Lord, for your servant hears. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the mighty friend. Of sinners. Amen. Amen. In this present age we all live in, it might seem and feel as if the enemy rules over everything, doesn't it? Our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world are being set in prisons and murdered in persecution because of Christ. It also might feel as if the world that we live in is in complete chaos. I mean, ponder the great calamity and disaster that have caused many deaths. Ponder the mass shooting which frequently happen in our nation. What about the war that is happening right now between Russia and Ukraine? Tragedy, trial, and turmoil seem to prevail greatly right now. And it will continue to prevail even more greater and greater as long as we are alive. Because this world is broken, dark, fallen, and tainted with sin. And then, friends, with all extreme evil all around us, We know the outcome of the future. We know how things will turn out in the end when the Lord returns. Why? Because God is the one who is the king of glory. And he rules over everything. He is the one who is in charge. That is why as we encounter Psalm 24 together... We are going to remember us, remind ourselves this morning that God is the ruler who has absolute dominion over everything. And the fact that he has dominion over everything, that should give us comfort and praise-filled spirit today, knowing that all things belong to him. Psalm 24 shows us that David praised God as the eternal king of glory who has, 
who is the Lord of hosts. And as a way to situate this psalm, this psalm highlights that David's relocation of the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed to Mount Zion in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And the procession would have accompanied the Ark with singing and praise in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Likely, this psalm was composed for a choir. The people would worship and sing the first two verses, and a leader would ask questions starting in verse 3. This psalm is a psalm of praising the supreme kingship of the Lord as the God of the universe. So as we encounter this psalm more closely together this morning, I want us to ask or consider asking three questions. Question number one, who is subject to the king of glory? That's verses one and two. Who can approach this king of glory? That's verses three through six. Who is this king of glory? That's verses 7 through 10. Who is the subject to the king of glory? Who can approach this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? Notice question number one. Who is subject to the king of glory? Look again with me in verses 1 and 2. David said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. From the outset of this text, David rightfully acknowledged that the earth belongs to God. And he wrote by saying that the almighty king of glory owns the earth and everything on the earth. Uh, The word fullness here in verse 1 is a reference to all of humanity. God is supreme over every human being in the past and supreme over every human being present. You are not subject to yourself. I am not subject to myself. We collectively are subjects to the king of glory. David continues here in verse 2 by realizing that God had founded the seas and established it upon the rivers. The question is, Why? Why did David realize this? Because he knew that God is the ultimate creator of all things. Here in verse 2, he was looking back to the creation account order in Genesis 1 and 2, where he remembered the creation of the land in the middle of earth's water, which is the third day of creation. God is the one who created the world. 
and he is the one who established its form. And when he finished creating the world and established it, establishing its form, behold, all of his creation was very good. God is rightfully considered the master of everything, including the world and those who live in the world. Every animal in the seas, every bird in the air, every animal on the land belongs to the king of glory. Church, this is a great reminder and encouragement for us this morning as we consider who is in charge. Because it can be easy to forget that all the riches, all the possessions, all the material things, and all the physical things that we see and, and touch and smell are, in subject to, are not in subject to the Lord. Not only that, it can also be easy to forget that every inhabitant of the earth are not subject to God. How easily, how easily it is for us to lose the sight and the mindset of this reality. How quickly we can forget that all the financial resources we have is not ours, but God's. How easily we forget that where we live and because we have an ours, but God. The food we eat, the water we drink and shower with, the clothes we wear, the oxygen we breathe in, the jobs we have and don't have, the strength and the ability we gain to move around with, all of it are subject to the king. Friends, God owns everything. But he gives us his good gifts primarily to reflect him, his purposes, and his glory. So, friends, as long as God is the king of glory, there is nothing that belongs to us. Yet, we can be carried away to be selfish with the things we have, believing that we are subject of it all. Even our lives do not belong to us. They belong to the Lord. Well, you might be thinking, well, Eugene, what about the storm that I am facing right now? What about that? Are they subject to the king? What about the anxiety that I face from time to time? Uh, what about the doubts that I have? Now, what about the financial struggles? Or what about my relationship 
struggles? What about my parental turmoil? What about the sickness that I face that seem not to go away? What about my family member and or friend who passed away that left me devastated and grievous? What about the loneliness that I face and the depression? What about the marriage difficulties that I have? What about the sin that I constantly battle with, which robs me from having joy in the Lord? Eugene, what about this? Are they subject to the king? Church, those are all deep, thoughtful, important questions to consider this morning as we encounter who is subject to this king of glory. And some of those questions I do not have answers to. And I know that you do not have answers to as well. But please note this morning that as you walk through stormy life, sin, trials, or whatever it may be, remember that all things are subject to the king. Everything good. Everything bad falls under the banner of God's kingly subjection. And, friends, that's good news for us this morning to receive. It is good news for us because nothing is excluded from God's category of his subjection. The king of glory is supreme. Absolutely powerful and completely in control over the whole entire universe. Which leads me to ask, who is or who can approach this king of glory? In light of God's being the king over everything in the earth and all who live upon the world. David was driven to wonder who exactly had the right to approach this king of glory. He wondered who had the right to get near him when he had the kind of incomprehensible power and holiness. That is why he began here in verse 3 by asking two types of questions. He said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? When I think about these two questions, Psalm 15 comes to mind. Because Psalm 15 is parallel to this to this section. David asked in Psalm 15, verse 1, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? These are words that captures the reality of not just approaching the hill of the Lord, but actually permanently settling there. And so when David asked this question in verse 3, 
he was not asking a question about who has the ability to climb up a hill and get where God dwells. It is not even a question of trying to make the effort to climb up a hill in order to get to God. If you know me, I am not even a fan of hiking, but I have no preference of picking and choosing right now because of the beautiful girlfriend that I date who cherish hiking to the core. And so, verse 3 is a metaphorical type of question. It is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. How can I get to the king and permanently, permanently stay with him? How can I get right with the God of the universe? When we consider this king of glory, especially concerning his power, and supremacy over our lives and over everything on the earth. The question we need to ask ourselves is, how do we get to him in order to live with him permanently? Because David did not ask, did not only ask a question, but he asked the most important question. A question of who can approach this king of glory. David rightly, rightfully gave an answer in a three-fold format in verse 4. Verse 4, he said, He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This threefold answer to his question in verse 3 will remind us today by giving us two positive encouragement and one negative admonition. The first positive encouragement it gives us, or he gave us, regarding who can approach this king was to those who have clean hands. What did David mean by clean hands? Well, what we see here is that the person who has clean hands have the right position to stand in the presence of God. To have clean hands means to have good deeds and actions. And so what David was declaring here was a characteristic of examining all the activities of ungodly actions. To approach God, we must be involved in doing the works of righteousness and deeds that fit its king kingdom service, and nothing else. We cannot, have the, we cannot have clean hands when we embrace sinful flesh. 
We cannot have clean hands when our actions are devoted to evil deeds. Our actions should not be busy in places which are contrary to God's word. If it's so, let me exhort you by reminding you today that God only looks to see what your action represents. If your actions are not righteous, be encouraged this morning. Please know that you can still approach the king by asking for forgiveness today. The almighty king of glory requires clean hands in order to be approached. As we see in verse 4, David also gave a second positive encouragement. That in order to approach this king, the requirement is for those who have pure heart. A pure heart refers to our intentions. See, our actions might look clean, but God also examines the heart to find if it is for him or not. Those who can approach the king of glory and stand in his presence are only those who actually cleanse their hearts from wickedness of sin. Friends, our heart intention should match our action. And if our heart intention is for the king of glory, then our action should reflect his kingly character. We should aim to value what he values. Love what he loves and hate what he hates. Church, to approach this king, we must strive to have a pure heart of godliness. I like how Jesus puts it plainly in Matthew 5, verse 8. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The goal is to see God and to receive blessing from him. But it is driven from having a pure heart before him. And so church, this morning, if you are not pure, the best thing to do is to have humble confession and true repentance before God and one another in order to receive his grace. God loves those who keep from false and deceitful ways. This is the third and one negative admonition we see here in verse 4. Because David said that the character of those who can approach the king are for those who keep themselves, their minds, and their actions from falsehood. It is an exhortation to kill sin. Literally, mortify it. If you want to have a right relationship with God, 
you must not flirt with evil deeds. If you play with fire, you might get burned. And when you get burned, then you will realize that the fire was hot. God abhors sin and evil. And so we should aim to do the same as we approach him. Aim to not embrace evil as a way to approach him. Walk by faith with a godly integrity. We cannot see God and be in his dwelling place if we are not staying away from false and deceitful ways. Listen, if we as Christians belong to the king of glory, then we must act like we belong to the king of glory. Because we are not in charge of ourselves. He is in charge of us. That is why the good news for us this morning is that the language of verse 4 is a language of forgiven people. It is a language for those who have received grace upon grace from the living God. Church, verse 4 is a call of encouragement and warning for those who live in repentance. Why? Because verse 5 and 6, this king of glory has promised great reward. David wrote here that the Lord promised, promises great reward for those who, have, who approach him with clean hands and a pure heart. He who have clean hands and a, a pure heart, verse 5, will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, seek him, those who seek the face of God of Jacob. This first promise in verse 5 of receiving blessing from the Lord is a constant theme throughout the whole Bible. And so David captures this great reward for us that when we aim to do what the Lord requires of us and target to live our lives according to his standards, then I'll be assured that the promise of his rich blessing still stands today. This blessing does not mean that the Lord will give us everything we want every time. It means that when we act and behave righteously and stay away from sin and evil, then his promises of eternal blessing in its fullness will be in its fruition, even when we don't receive blessing here on earth. Yes, sometimes he blesses us by taking care of us. Yes, he provides for our needs. 
Yes, he eliminates our doubts and anxiety. He strengthens our souls, heals our broken relationships, comforts us in our loneliness and depression. But sometimes he doesn't. However, the promise of eternal blessing remains steadfast and sure. Our king, the king of the universe, has not left us to ourselves because he owns us. He loves us. And we are his forevermore. The second promise that we see here in verse 5 of this great reward is righteousness from the God of salvation. Our king is a king of justice. A king who treats, treats us fairly and justly. To put it plainly in another way, God is love. And he always have the best interest for us in mind and heart. God is always looking out for us because he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God has made an incredible rich, rich covenant with us which show us his daily grace and mercy. He has made a way possible for every man and woman to have right relationship with him and to inherit eternal life with him in glory. But not only do we receive eternal life to come, we receive the gracious life of faith now because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have been set free by the king of glory so that we might live for his promises and to act and reflect his glorious name. The question is why? Because verse 6 declares that these things, these great promises are available now to the generation of those who seek the face of the Lord. Question, what are you searching for in this life? What is it that you seek to gain apart from the Lord God? Where is your true happiness? Who do you really want to be with the most? David says that we need to seek the faith of God. Seeking God is what we must always be searching for in this life, knowing that the, the promises, the great promises, is exceedingly great. A promise that... A promise of eternal hope. A promise of great reward. A, a promise of 
everlasting joy with God of the universe. Let me pause by exhorting unbelievers this morning. If you are an unbeliever on behalf of this church, I thank God that he caused you to be here with us today. But I want to challenge you and encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you by asking you this question. Who is your true king? Is it the king of glory? Or is, the, is it the king of this world? Are you living for God? Or are you living for yourself? Listen, if you entrust yourself to the king of this world... And if you live for yourself and for your own sinful passions, then the ultimate result is the daunting eternal torment with the devil. And believe me, you don't want want to be there. But the good news that I want to encourage you with this morning is that there is a way. There is only one way. And that way is through the king of glory. He is the king of eternal life and peace. And you can receive the promise of eternal blessing from him. You can receive righteousness from him. You can receive a right standing with him. You can receive salvation from him. How? How can you receive All these promises. Unbeliever. Verse 6. By seeking him. By seeking his face. Through repentance of sin. And evil. And placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. For the forgiveness of all your sin. And eternal life. Church, strive to live righteously before the Lord with an assurance that when you seek Him, you will receive great eternal promises. If He is this great and promising, the question is, who is this King of glory? when a preacher get excited. <laughs> this is the fundamental question. This is the part where everybody stands up when a bride walk in the room. This is the part where everything comes alive. Because here in verses 7 through 10, David was leading worship By making a call of praise to God. He was making a call to the entire city of Jerusalem. David cried out for the whole city gates to swing open. To open up so that the king of glory may come in and enter Jerusalem. This phrase used in verse 7 is repeated also in verse 9 as a way to emphasize the poetry 
and the importance of this moment. And in verses 8 and 10, David was also asking his congregation a question. And they rightfully gave a correct response. He said, who is this king of glory? The Lord. Strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Friends, did you know that this right here, verse 8, is the first time and the only time in the Bible where we see this reference made to the king of glory? Which clearly makes this psalm a kingship psalm. And also a messianic psalm. It is a psalm prophesying to the day when a savior would come to the city of Jerusalem as the almighty king of glory. It seems possible for me to believe that this song was fulfilled years later. In the person of Jesus Christ. He he is the humble king of glory. Who came and entered Jerusalem. Uh, The king who willingly came to rescue sinners like you and me. Uh, He entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's why Matthew 21 says. The crowd that went before him. And that followed him. Were shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was astonished. Saying, who is this? And they said, the crowd shouted and said, this is the prophet Jesus. Of Nazareth of Galilee. Listen, this king is the Lord of hosts, the king of glory, who who is mighty in battle, the king who is worthy to be praised because he sent forth his son Jesus to die on a cross for all our sin and rise up again from the dead for all our sin and shame. He is the king of kings. He is the king of peace. He is the king of mercy. The king of love. The king full of grace. The king like no other king. He is the king of glory. Who will return again one day. And take us to himself. And we shall feast together with him. In the house of Zion. This is our King Jesus, worthy to be praised. He owns us. He came for us. And we can approach Him. He has made a way for us to approach Him through Jesus. Let me end with this story. Imagine... Owning a home. And in that home, 
you have a backyard with a pool and a car and all the good stuff in it. And then someone comes without asking and starts hanging out in your backyard, using your pool, taking your car to the grocery store, and uses it, and then brings it back without saying anything. And then later you find all of that out. It is like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, the classic little children's story. Goldilocks was once walking into the woods and she saw a house and she knew very well it is not her house. But she went into the house anyway. She went in and started eating the porridge sitting on their, their bear's chairs, sleeping on their beds. She does all this stuff in a house that does not belong to her. If something like this happened to you, you would feel violated, violated right? You would realize that something is not right. And you would feel upset. Like this stuff doesn't belong to you. How dare you just come in and just use anything however you want, the way you want. And so here we are talking about the earth and everything in the world, including us belonging to the Lord. Then in a sense... We are like squatters on his property. And obviously, I mean, God has given us these good gifts. But we, are, we as sinners have used his gift for our own selfish purposes. We can be like cosmic embezzlers. We can be like cosmic squatters. We can be like vandals who abuse in using the stuff that God has given to us in selfish and destructive ways. We are all guilty of this. And what we deserve is great punishment from him. And so the question is, can we, can we with all our guilt and shame ascend and stand before God in glory? The answer is absolutely not. Apart from Christ and his gospel for sinners like you and me. Because of Jesus, God is worthy to be praised as the ultimate king of glory. And so as we walk by faith, in this world, looking to Jesus, let us remember this one message from Psalm 24, that the approachable king of glory is sovereign over everything. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, whom we know as Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks, knowing that your word reminds us that you are the King of glory who is subject over everything. And you have made a way that we can approach you. Would you help us by your spirit to walk by faith, having a clean hand and a pure heart? Constantly reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ is the king who is worthy of our praise. We thank you, Lord. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the mighty friend of sinners. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue to praise this King of glory? <laughs> 